Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Crystal Clodcast. I'm your host Laura and I'm here as ever with my wonderful co-hosts, Mia. Wonderful, that's a new one, I like that. Hello, um, you can find me, I always forget what I'm supposed to say at the beginning. Um, you can find me on Twitter at God. I don't know why I introduced my Twitter handle at the beginning. That's just, fine, it's become a thing. <laughs> I did it the first time and now I just feel like I have to do it every time. Yeah. You didn't do it last time. Well, didn't until happen. everyone who listens to this podcast follows you on Twitter, we're just going to keep hammering it. Yes, yeah. I get like a spreadsheet out of everyone who follows the podcast account and everyone who follows my account, and I'm like, still some people, gotta win them over. You know who else is here? Retter. Hello! I'm Super Retter on Twitter. Yeah. Now, see, you pointed out that, like, wonderful was a new way to introduce you both. I'm pretty sure it's a downgrade, because I usually say lovely and wonderful co-hosts. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure I usually say both, so... <laughs> now I'm just wonderful. Yeah. Eventually, it's like, I guess it's this person. They turned up. Well, let, let's be fair, you know, there's a lot of grandiose that goes into the start of a podcast, but generally, like, if I was meeting someone, like, in the street and I was introducing you, I wouldn't describe you as the lovely and wonderful Mia and Retro. I'd be like... Uh, this is Mirror and Retro, I guess. Sure. That would be amazing. Maybe we should make that a thing. Like, whenever you introduce someone in person, be like, this is the most incredible woman in the universe, Laura. You should be honoured to meet her. Well, I'm okay with that, but I'm not sure I'm going to convince you as the lovely and wonderful. Okay. But, you know, you just got to, you know, address me properly. <laughs> uh, so this week we are doing episode 19 of the Crystal Podcast. Um... We will be discussing, I believe, four episodes of Steven Universe this week, not five. Yes, because we realised that if we did five, we'd be starting the Jasper arc and then immediately stopping, which felt a bit... Yeah, there's some weird, like, crossover where we we needed to do nine episodes so that we could fit a batch of five together later. Yeah. And in order to do it, we either had to do four this week and five next week, or five this week and four next Mm -hmm. week. And by making this one four... We don't start the Jasper stuff until next week, and it's all together. It's always awkward trying to like work out where to delineate our uh, yeah. episode marks. We have to use maths. And yeah, we, we have to brains. sit and look like uh, look at graphs and things. Yeah, it's, and it's very complicated. We have to make distinctions and decisions about like what are the important narrative threads to keep exactly. together. Exactly, like what characters appear and kind of what character arcs kind of go across yeah. each set of episodes. Yeah, it's a whole big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this week we will be talking about episode eighty nine, Beach City Drift. Episode 90, Restaurant Wars. Episode 91, Kiki's Pizza Delivery Service. And episode 92, Monster Reunion. This is a weird batch of episodes because, like, it's bookended at either end with an episode that's, like, really serious character development for Steven. Mm-hmm. And the middle two are just, like, both weird <laughs> episodes about pizza. Yeah, like, the only thing... restaurants. That, yeah, it's, like, they're tied together by being about food that's... <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. So uh, like normally we're always like, oh, we didn't realize there was a theme to these episodes. I don't. The, think the theme here theme. is they kind of just like wedge the two rest. It feels weird to put the two restaurant episodes together. Yeah, you thought you would spread them out rather than like it's an episode about the restaurants. If, and here's another one. If nothing else, you could have switched episodes eighty and ninety around so that we did restaurant wars, beach city drift, Kiki's pizza delivery service, and monster reunion, and then we would have at least had. A little bit of spacing out. Yeah, because I don't think there's anything about episodes 89 and 90 that you couldn't switch around to not have two back to back food episodes. No. It does feel weird. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we, we'll start with episode 89, because that's the one they choose, chose to have <laughs> yeah. be canonically next, I guess. They chose wrong, but we'll go along with it. Yeah, so um, 
this episode starts with Stephen giving a very serious speech in a car. Uh, they told me there's not enough room on the road for the universe. The universe is my road. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a very kind of like childish like version of kind of a movie trailer, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically Stephen is uh, practicing driving, by which we mean he is sat behind the wheel with the engine turned off going vroom vroom. Yeah, it's one of those moments we talk about every now and then where like he seems to act even younger than his age. It's very childish. It's, it's very much a reminder, like, oh, this is Stephen, the very literal child. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, as <laughs> he steers a wheel and has to, like, multiple people have to get his attention because he's too focused on yeah, pretending to drive a car. Yeah, in his fantasy. Yeah. Um, I love that Greg buys a used car even though he's rich. Yes, it's because this is meant to be, like, the car that he wanted to own when he was younger. So rather than go out and buy, like, a new amazing car, he goes for, like, the one that has um, sentimental value to him. Yeah, he he goes for, like, this was the cool car that I couldn't have when I was, like, a teenager. But, like, why would I need a new one? Because they don't even make new ones. It's an old car. Yeah. It's secondhand. It's fine. Yeah. He, he just wants his Dundai Supreme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's, like, street racing car with some speakers in the back. Yeah, the power of the Supreme. Um... So, Kevin then turns up at the, uh, uh, Kevin turns up at the car wash, and the whole note I've written here is, fuck you, Kevin, which I'm pretty sure Retta said out loud when he turned yeah. up. Yeah. I was just like, oh, fuck off, Kevin. Yeah, fuck off, Kevin. Fuck you, Kevin. Yeah. Kevin is, this episode only seeks to... Check out my note. Yeah. Kevin is a total dick. Blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this episode just hits home how much of a dick Kevin is and makes him even worse in, in several ways by comparison. Yeah. Uh, there are several ways in this in which this episode implies that he is, like, kind of pedophilic, and that's it's terrifying. Sh- yeah. Weird, his kind of... We'll, we'll get to some of those weird yeah. Kevin things, but Kevin turns up and he's a smarmy arsehole. Mm-hmm. The thing I found most kind of enlightening about this scene is Stephen's reaction, because last time we, we've not really seen how Stephen has reacted to what happened with Kevin when they were at the dance. Yeah. Because they, they fell apart and they all kind of like, they kind of nervously laughed yeah. and it ended. But this at this point, we see that Stephen is absolutely furious at Kevin. Because we did discuss before that it was almost as though Stephen didn't quite understand yeah. like what was going on. He just knew that it made him uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And we said maybe since then he's kind of processed. Yeah, he's thought I think about part, it. Part of it is, is time to process, but I think a big factor in it is since the last time we saw Kevin, we've had the... Consent arc. The consent yeah. arc. And like, garnet and pearl and consent. Yeah. And consent is a big thing mm. that, like, is going to turn up multiple times. Maybe we should have done that next episode, this batch, because the the Jasper returning one is about consent. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe it's that fine. Would have been the theme. Maybe that, that would have been a theme, but it's fine. It's I think it's important to keep the Jasper episodes yeah. together, but... We'll, we'll stick to the plan. Next week, we will also be starting with an episode that touches on consent. Mm-hmm. But, um... Oh, fucking Kevin. <laughs> so, Kevin forgets to pay uh, for his car being cleaned after being an asshole, and, um... Greg... Initially is annoyed and like chases after him and then very quickly gives up and goes, who cares? I'm rich. Yeah, he doesn't need the money. No, and it's a really nice thing of like, it hits home that it it reminds you that Greg is working even though he doesn't need to. Yeah. That like, he does seem to 
want to still have a purpose to his life and want to feel like he's doing work and contributing and he's not just sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, like his life is basically continuing as normal. He hasn't really changed his day-to-day life despite yeah. being a millionaire. Yeah, it's it's the sort of thing that like I've thought about this before the like if I won the lottery, I don't <laughs> enter the lottery, but if I won the lottery, would I keep working? And I'm like I would keep working to some degree because yeah. You know, it gives a sense of purpose yeah, to the day. Yeah, I agree. I've always said that as well about myself. Like, if I had the money, I would continue doing all the writing that I do. Because, to be honest, I do that for my own fulfilment. I don't do that for money. Which reminds me, I need to follow up some invoices because I've still not been paid for some work. <laughs> because, like, it's, you know, you there's two reasons to work. You work to get money or you work because you get some sort of creative fulfillment from it. I want to get money. That is good. <laughs> I, I, I do both. Uh, yeah. I get creative fulfillment but also money is good please. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Laura K Bars. Um, so yeah. The, Connie and Stephen at this point have a conversation with Greg where they basically explain to Greg, hey that guy was a creepy, rapey fuck. What I like about this bit is that Greg starts out kind of being like, that's rude, don't say that about someone. And then as soon as like they as, elaborate, yeah. this is what he yeah, did. Yeah, it goes, oh, I'm sorry, I did, wasn't aware that that had happened. Yeah, and Greg's like, okay, you're entirely justified, he is an ass. Yeah, he, I really do like that it's like, don't be rude <clears throat> to adults. Oh no, that adult did like a really super bad thing. Yeah, no, be as rude as you <laughs> want to adults yeah. if they do bad things. Yeah. Well, um, Greg says hate's a strong word and Stephen says it's a strong feeling too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this little interaction is this really nice little bubble of children are often encouraged like discouraged from being sincere about how they feel about things but sometimes that sincerity is warranted yeah and sometimes it's like look things do happen to kids that they need to be like validated that like it's okay to not feel okay about x thing yeah and it's like just because someone's an adult doesn't mean they're right Mm -hmm. yeah Um, we've had that theme before i think so we have, like, with the um, freeing lapis from the mirror. Oh, yeah, we were saying, like, because your parents might believe something doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's the and right We're thing. taught, like, the adults in your life are the ultimate rule, basically, but that doesn't mean that they are necessarily always right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get a bit of a an interaction between Stephen and Connie that basically boils down to... Um, you know, maybe the way that we can we can beat Kevin at his own game is to beat him in a race. Well, kids can't drive. Uh, we weren't a kid when we met him. I debate this statement yeah. from them both. I think they have... I don't think it's necessarily poor writing. I think that they both have a really immature view of what adulthood is. I agree. It's like, and oh, you look like an adult, now you, you're an you adult. You have a, a more physically mature body, therefore you are an adult. It's like, no, you've not lived additional years. You don't... Like, yeah. the things that exist about, like, why you're allowed to drive a car or rules around, like, consent and things exist because until you've lived a certain number of years, you're you're not deemed having lived long enough to make these decisions sensibly as an adult. Yeah, it's not like it's based on height. It's yeah. It's based on maturity. <laughs> I like that. 
Oh, but I'd probably never meet the barrier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately I stuck being like, what, 14, shorty squad. I don't care, I like the shorty squad. <laughs> I was going to be offended and then I was like, no, actually, I, I, I like the shorty squad. I want to get a shirt with it on. <laughs> um, so, Connie uses an interesting phrase, uh, like Steve, yeah. Connie uses an interesting phrase to um, follow up on this. I smell what you're stepping in. Which Stephen responds, ew. <laughs> but he does yeah. it in a really kind of, like a cool guy going, yeah. He goes, ew. Ew. Yeah, and it's just like, kind of like... I think he's like, I want to be supportive, but that metaphor is kind of gross. Yeah. I don't want to be too critical of your gross metaphor. Yeah. That's um, the way I, I read it. <clears throat> so, <laughs> that's all right. Um, so they turn up at the place where Kevin's going to do his big, like, drag race down the mountain or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin eventually realises who they both are. Uh, he describes he describes them Ooh. as having a two kids in a beautiful trench coat routine. Yeah, I noticed when there was that line all three of us were like, yeah, write that it's down. Just like, it's, it's weird in that like Kevin is clearly aware this is two children but mm-hmm. he's still describing them as, as like attractive. As attractive and it doesn't seem like it seems like there is a an adult angle to his description of attraction That's while right. he's yeah. aware that they are two children. Yeah, which, which is creepy as hell. Yeah. And he like, also says because the way he says it is two kids in a beautiful trench coat routine won't fool me a second time. Yeah, it's it's weird because the first time we see this when Kevin event, uh, originally finds out they're two kids because they sort of fall apart and unfuse. <laughs> two kids, I'm he's, out. He's like, two kids, I'm out. And that was his one redeeming thing, I think, in that first appearance, is he's like, he at least was like, oh, your kids, and backed the fuck off. Yeah, he has at least some sort yeah. of line he wants Yeah, across. but here he's aware that they're a pair of kids. <laughs> they're basically two kids in a trench coat, and he's still hitting on them. Which is really weird. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um so I, the note I wrote was Kevin is still creepily into what is a pair of children. Yeah. Um, and yeah. he knows it's a pair of children. Yeah. Ooh. So creepy, creepy, creepy. Stevoni plans to race Kevin to wipe the smirk off his face if they win. Um, their plan is very much themed around if we win, that will be the thing that wipes the smirk off his face. Like that'll be the thing that that's our victory. That's our victory condition. Is we need to be better than him at something he cares about. Yeah. Therefore, we will win. Yeah. Um, Did you notice? Um, I didn't notice the first time, but um, Ronaldo's girlfriend is with Ronaldo in the crowd. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, that. so they they did work things yeah, out. They, it seems. Well, this is beforehand. So they see that he's in a relationship with someone. We don't see her saying. Oh yeah, anything. no, the breakup is next episode, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So we actually see her with him together. Um, so we do see time. some evidence of this whole, um, the like their, yeah. them being a couple thing. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't completely out of nowhere. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool because mm-hmm. when I saw the um, episode where they break up. I assumed that she had just been invented for that episode, but we found out she's from the cinema. Yeah, she works the cinema. Yeah, yeah. she's there. On we, we, too. She does turn up a few times. It's, yeah. She turns up in the cinema, which is presumably where Ronaldo meets her. Mm-hmm. Um, she turns up here. Yeah. yeah, she she didn't just pop up out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and that's why she seems kind of familiar when she shows up yeah. later. Um, we then get an awesome racing montage. We do. I- 
Is this a reference to Initial D? Uh, that was my assumption, was that it was an Initial yeah. D reference. I've not seen Initial D, but I've seen clips from it, and I know it was very big in, like, 2000s. I've never even heard of it. It's basically an anime about cars, like, yeah. racing. It, okay. A lot of the way this is shot seems like it's trying to go for very similar things. Yeah, it, it, lo- it looks like it's trying to reference something. Yeah, so. my, my guess was Initial D, but I could be wrong. It could just as easily be a reference to, like, The Fast and the Furious or yeah, something. Yeah, possibly. I think it will be Initial D if it's anime, because one thing that I noticed with Kevin, his eyes, when they're, like, getting, when they're revving up, ready to mm. start, it looks kind of like an evil cat, which is generally how animes, an, animes, anime? Anime. Anime. Yeah, anime is plural. I, yeah. How... <laughs> Generally, anime style does the eyes quite cat-like when it's someone evil. Yeah, I did get kind of anime vibes yeah. from this one. Like, that's just one thing that I got a lot, because when I used to watch anime, the, whenever there was an evil character, they'd have very evil cat eyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, I have a question. Sure. Did Stavoni get Greg's permission to use his car? I highly doubt it. I doubt it, too. Because, like, presumably Greg has the keys. Yeah, I mean, is there, like, an untold kind of story here of how they stole the keys and draw? I don't know. My assumption, like, I initially assumed they must have stolen it, but I, I stopped to think about it, and Greg's response to what Kevin did, I could maybe see him being like, look, if you need to do this to, you know, get some closure on what Kevin did... Look, it's fine. You can do what you need to do. Mm. I could maybe see that being the case. I don't know. Like, I, driving I, I a car just, does seem dangerous, but yeah, it's probably less dangerous than fighting a giant space hand. So That's yeah, true. like the thing that I've written is this is so dangerous. How do they even know how to drive, especially like that? Because they're doing drifting and all sorts, and I'm like, you yeah, you could look at it from two angles. Either like, eh, this is just them being like. We'll introduce the fact they can magically drive because they need to for the plot and watching them learn to drive would be boring. Or we can look at it from the point of view of this, the whole fusion being like, you know, one plus one equals three. Like, there's some sort of extra thing in there. Steven's and... ambition to drive versus Connie's technical knowledge of how a car might work yeah. because she likes books. Kind of matches Combines to make Stavani a good driver or something. Yeah. Well, Stephen has controlled like alien spaceships you'd think he'd have some sort of yeah he's he's controlled like you know he controlled uh peridot's escape pod like he's controlled vehicles before yes but you know maybe that imparts some knowledge into your brain of how mechanics work yeah okay i could go with that um I also, I was just thinking, I like the reading that maybe they got the car because Amethyst hotwired it, because we know that she hotwired Oh, cars. yeah. <laughs> I, I like that thinking. Oh, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like, oh, that's easier. Like, maybe that's how they got it started. I like that theory. Um, <laughs> One other thing, um, when Stavoni is driving, she keeps doing, she, they yeah. keep drifting with their eyes shut. And I'm just like, open your goddamn eyes, you're gonna crash! What are you doing? Road safety. <laughs> it was making me panic. I was just like, stop it! Maybe that's like an uh, initial D thing. If, I feel like that could be an anime yeah. thing. I don't know. I kind of feel like it might be an alternate timeline, the dark timeline. <laughs> they crashed and died. They crash and fall off the mountain. Maybe, maybe. You never know. So, a lot of dark timelines already, as we've discussed. <laughs> yeah. So. 
Kevin gives a speech during this race. His fake backstory that he's given with real sincerity of delivery and then completely pulled around because he like this is the moment that made me just be like look you are just an irredeemable asshole yeah um the the way that he's willing to manipulate emotions so the truth is i don't mean to be this way i i I just lash out because of my little brother (sighs) he's been he's sick he's been sick all of our lives sometimes i think if i act real cool and never let anyone see my pain then maybe the pain will go away and maybe i can take his pain away too Dude, I don't even have a brother. I'm like this because I think it's funny. Yeah. And it's it's like, oh, you are just a literal internet troll incarnate. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. This episode is definitely not family friendly, it no. turns out. But, but also, Kevin's a rapey fuck. Yeah. It's clever because obviously it is kind of like a trope. Yeah. In other TV shows where it's like, oh, this character's an asshole, but there's a reason, and this is the redeeming thing. So they kind of, like, set it up and get you ready to feel some sympathy. And then go, nope, he's just an asshole. Sometimes when people are an asshole... They're just an asshole. They are just an asshole. Yeah. There's no yeah. reasoning behind it. That's just how mm. they and are. It's it's important because it kind of sets up this fact that, like, just because they were going to give him a sympathetic backstory or he was going to give himself one doesn't make the acts he's done any less forgivable. Mm-hmm. Like, they're still the same actions. Yeah, it has he's, responsibility for them. He still has to be responsible for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it does kind of... It hammers home he is... Sometimes in this world there are people who are just assholes, and yeah, Kevin is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, St- Stephen and Connie get too angry at Kevin and fall apart. Yeah. I'm, I made a note here... Is this the first reference we get to eventually Here Comes a Thought? In oh, that possibly, yeah. It's referencing forwards to when we're going to have these discussions of if your emotions are too unstable and are not the emotions that brought you together, fusion becomes unstable and fusion breaks apart because you can't be a stable fusion while struggling with all these negative emotions you're holding on to. Yeah. And it's basically the whole thing that Here Comes a Thought ends up panning around is this, like, if you're holding on to negative emotions you're not processing, you can't maintain a stable fusion. Yeah. I also I... thought it's because they want to process these thoughts differently. Yeah, because I was thinking that Stephen is very dead set and we have to win, we have to win. We have to win to get revenge. But Connie seems almost like, wait, why are we doing this? Yeah, like, just this seems like... silly. Hang on, what, what, what is the line? I have it written somewhere. And I think, like, all that I, kind Why of... do we even play his game? Why does he have any say in how we feel? Yeah, so I have a bunch of the transcript for, for this here. Um, I, I think the most telling line of it, just to jump ahead slightly, is the, he's the reason we're racing, he's the reason we fused. And it's this... Po- it's. I I don't like the idea of using fusion as a sex metaphor when we're discussing kids, but I think that there is a relevant reason to do so here in that if you look at this situation as, like, you did this act because of someone that you were both angry at and you were trying to get back at someone you're both angry at, if you then sort of put aside the fact this is two kids and look at it as the sex metaphor of fusion... 
it's two people having sex because they're angry at someone else and that's not what that should be. Yeah, it's yeah. just, and, like, this isn't what fusion is about. Yeah. Or just, like, abstract... Like, going back to it being kids, just being, like, an act that is an intimate act of some kind that's in the abstract. kind of how, how I read yeah. it as basically being, like, fusion is special <clears throat> and important and personal, but we're not doing this for us, we're now doing it for someone yeah. else. One thing that I have written down is... Steven is like Ruby and Connie is like Sapphire in that Connie's like, she's thinking quite logically and it's why we're letting him dictate how we feel. Whereas Steven Ruby... Yeah, Steven yeah. Ruby is just like, no, we need to get revenge, we need to do something. We can't just let him get away with that. Yeah. Something has to be done. It is, it is very much the same dichotomy. It is the thinking of the end goal and we should just move on because we, you know, can't... You know, we shouldn't be letting this person affect us versus, no, I feel angry and I want to be allowed to feel that. Yeah. But I just really like it as kind of like Garnet unfusing is... Similar to that. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of almost a foreshadowing of way in the future when yeah. this happens. So I like the Stephen to Ruby comparison particularly mm. because one thing that Ruby does that Stephen also does here is the... Because he's he's... Ah! And like getting halfway through a sentence and just like kind of angrily exhaling. Yeah. Because like not knowing how to express those feelings other than just like a shout of anger. Yeah, it's kind of like there's this massive emotions and not much logic or thought behind why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the conclusion of this is Stephen and Connie having this realization of we are kind of obsessed with Kevin. And Connie saying, I want to finish this race, but not for him for us. And it's this really nice moment of them both moving on being like, look, we're going to finish what we started, but we're going to do it for us. We will enjoy it on our terms and whatever the outcome of this race, we're going to enjoy it and we're going to let our enjoyment versus his anger like be what beats his anger. Yeah, like he's he's angry and he only sees satisfaction in victory. We don't need that. We're better than him. Yeah. It's like, we're going to continue this, but how whatever happens to him and how he reacts is now irrelevant to us. Yeah, and I think it's also the, we're doing this, but it's on our terms. Yeah. Yeah. So they finish, they go to finish the race. They take a moment to enjoy the really beautiful views. They laugh and have fun. They caught up so easily when they're racing for themselves. Like, there had been quite a decent stop. Before they then start racing and catch up really fast. I, I have some theories on this. One, it's always easier to pick up speed when you're not trying to overtake someone in a race. But B, I think a lot of it was Kevin deliberately slowing down because he wanted to gloat as he won. Yeah, yeah. I like, can see that. There's no fun for Kevin if he just wins. Yeah. And it's like, oh, they spun out and I just went miles ahead. He wants to. He wants them to see when he's like, oh, you're about to win Nitro. Yeah, over the finish line. Yeah, he, he wants to have his, his smug victory. Mm. I agree. Um, That's how I read it too. Yeah. So, you know, Stavoni has fun, enjoys everything, wishes Kevin a good race and Kevin's confused as hell. Um, you trying to kiss my hand with your hand or something? Yeah. Um, this is the part when Kevin kind of reveals that he's obsessed with them. Yeah. He's obsessed with himself as well. Yeah. As soon as Stavoni is like a little bit, is thinking about something other than Kevin, because Stavoni's like, you know, Kevin, you were right. The view from the mountain was pretty great. Um, second place isn't so bad for my first time ever driving a car. Um, 
And Kevin gets really agitated. He's like, don't try and teach me a lesson. You lost. Look at you. You're so obsessed with me. You're going to drive away. Fine. Go play some kiddie car toys. I bet I could beat you with that too. You're obsessed with me. Obsessed. Obsessed. <laughs> like, he really is just... He he gets his sense of satisfaction from feeling like other people's lives revolve around him. Yep. And the second that someone's just like, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Good race, Kevin. <laughs> and, like, walks away. He's like, but but why don't you hate me? Yeah, because that's how he gets his validation. Like, that's yeah. what he needs for people to hate him. And be yeah. One thing that I've written down is Kevin is so self-obsessed, he's completely convinced that everyone else is obsessed with him too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I honestly think a lot of it comes down to Kevin has got himself into this spiral where he wants people to hate him because he's convinced that the reason people hate him is because he's better than them. Oh, that like, makes sense. That his, his internal logic seems to be, I am better than everyone. People can't stand that. That's why people hate me. Therefore, the more people I make hate me, the more people I can convince myself know that I'm better than them and the better I feel about myself. And that seems to be the loop yeah. as best I can I like work that. out. I like that. That makes sense. Yeah. I think it's a cool message for kids because it's basically saying, like, someone may really anger you and agitate you, but really you don't get anything out of dwelling on that and you don't get anything out of trying to get revenge against them. Like, you have the power to just be like, whatever, I'm walking away. Live your life, find your happiness, and, you know, life will be better for it. It's that really great quote. I'm not actually sure where it's from, but it's like, oh, God, I'm going to, like, totally mess it up. But it's about holding on to a grudge is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. Uh, yeah. I'm aware of the quote. If you two vamp for a second, I can find you. Okay, sure. Too. Um, I really like that because, to be honest, like when I was a teenager and like I was a bullied kid, I did hold on <laughs> to grudges. I think a lot of kids who are bullied do that. It's kind of like, I will hold this against you for many years until you realise... Actually, me holding on to this hatred is only hurting myself. Yeah, because I was—I remember having a moment like a couple of years after, and just kind of been like, "That person likely never ever thinks about me whatsoever, and even if they did, they can't affect me, and it's down to me to choose to move on from that." Yeah. So I was just like, "I don't care anymore." Yeah, with me, I was just kind of like, "You know what? I've wasted enough time on you. Yeah. You are not worth." My time, exactly. so I am done. Yeah. That's me, I'm out. <laughs> okay, so the quote is most often attributed to Nelson Mandela, although the earliest citations do not in fact start with Mandela. Many others over the years have made the statement with subtle differences or a complete rewriting. Uh, 1995 seems to be the first popularised use of it by Alan Brandt. Um, okay, so it's fairly recent then. Oh no, sorry, it does go a bit further back. Sorry, I'm trying to read like quite a lengthy article <laughs> yeah, as we're going. <laughs> Uh, 1988, there's a reference uh, from a columnist, Florence Sherlock, um, used a variation on it. It is, like, in the last, like, 20 years or so, but, um, oh, God, no, that's more than that. That's, like, 30, 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, we are old. Okay, it's most commonly attributed to Nelson Mandela, who did say it, but he's not the first person to say it. Okay, that's cool. He's the common attribution, though, so. Yeah. Yeah, uh... Anger is like drink, uh, anger or resentment, uh, depending on which source. Resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. 
cool. Yeah. yeah. It's a cool saying. I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's a really sweet episode, this one. It, it's a really nice message of like, look, this guy is an asshole, and you shouldn't have to forgive him for that, but also don't let that anger consume you and find your own happiness rather than seeking revenge. Yeah. Along with a really cool racing car sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad... All the Stavoni episodes tend to be really cool. Yeah. Because, um, like, we've got this one, and then coming up we start getting, like, combat Stavoni, yeah. and we get a really cool song with Stavoni. I always look forward to Stavoni episodes. Yeah, I think it's, it's cool that they don't use Stavoni often, but when they do, it always feels completely justified. I feel like Stavoni is, like, their... We don't use this unless it's a special episode kind yeah, of thing. Like, we agree. wait for the right episode to yeah. do this. Um, anything else we'd like to say on episode 89? That is me done. That's me done. Right, so next up is episode 90, Restaurant Wars. Stephen wants to order off-menu at the fry shop. He already orders off-menu. <laughs> this is silly. Because mm-hmm. the bits are not a menu item. No, no. So it took me forever, I don't know if we've talked about this, it took me forever to process, like, what the bits were. It's literally just, like, small bits of chip that, like, yeah. are too small to get picked up yeah. by the, the, the mm-hmm. thing that you fry the chips in. It's... And when they empty out the fryer, it's just, like, fried up bits of chip at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like when um, you go to a fish and chip shop and they have, like, the scraps, which are, like, yeah. the bits of batter that are kind of just, like... Dribbled off as they've been putting the fish in. Or yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just, like, the, the, the scraps I at the end of the day. Like I used to get scraps. I used to get scrap sandwich. I, I, I've never been to a place that actually, like, had that as an option, uh, like, a thing that they would allow people to have. Yeah, but... um, my local one, where I used to live, um, in Yorkshire... It became a thing that I would always ask for scraps, and it got to the point where they would actually give me a bag of scraps when I went to the fish were shop. You, were you Stephen? Did, yeah. did you go and get the bits? I basically went in for the bits, yeah. <laughs> well, they always used to ask in chip shops in um, Leeds, where I, I was from. I think, honestly... They'd I, go, do you want it with scraps or without? I think it's just like, not even a regional thing, but I think it's down to each individual shop. Because I have been to shops before where... They just they immediately just get rid of it all and throw it in the bin and they don't keep any of it visible and if you ask for it it's just like that's not a thing. I do wonder whether Steven Universe has in any way repopularized <laughs> the idea of the bits. The bits. Whether yeah. that has like picked up steam as a result. I, I imagine there are at least a few people somewhere who have gone and asked for the bits because <laughs> of Steven. Um the fry shop like it, Stephen wants to go off menu, and Petey goes in the back and sells him mozzarella sticks from the back of the freezer. Don't know why they're there. Yeah, implication being they're there for a while. So. Yes, and uh, Pizza Stew gets furious. He sees this as an attack on his business. He starts selling fries, and the the restaurant wars begin. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's quite a swift intro to this episode it is literally just Stephen buys mozzarella sticks it's war yeah, basically yeah. we then see a war zone with people like dying on the ground because they ate too much and many carbs yeah and, like catch up on their faces <laughs> yeah i thought that like it's really odd because obviously we've got the contrast of the gem war where thousands of gems and stuff died yeah. and there's like oh too many carbs like we had a literal like Restaurant war when Frybo turned up and was like suffocating people with fries. Yeah, but here it's like people choosing to eat too many carbs Mm. and then lying in the street. Too many options. Um, So it turns out PT accidentally broke a long-held truce. 
you can tell that there's something a bit messed up when two restaurants require a truce. Yeah. To it's, be signed. It's amusing, but like you can see it sort of makes sense. Like these are two competing restaurants that have decided not to step into each other's business and maintain a kind of status quo mm-hmm. on the boardwalk. Yeah, so like it, this feels like a story that could have just been fixed by I am sorry, I did not know about this truce. <laughs> This was clearly in the back of the freezer because my dad like had no intention to sell it. I am sorry. Mm-hmm. Feels like that could have been the entire solution yeah, to this episode. You, you could have finished this episode in the first scene, really. Like this is one of those episodes that does feel like a good, reasonable adult human conversation would have fixed this and yes. made this a not story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that probably wouldn't have been very funny, though. No, no. <laughs> but uh, Fryman is completely unaware that his hair is chips. Yeah, I thought that was amusing. Yeah, like his what whole about fries, my hair? His whole family have, like, fry hair. And then, yeah, he's like, what about my hair? N- nothing. <laughs> like, now that I'm not picturing it as, like... I initially, when I started watching the show, I thought it was a hat Me too. designed to look I like fries. Didn't realise it was his hair. No. Now I realise he's some kind of super saiyan with, like, yeah. s- hair stuck well, this, up on This it. episode, he takes the cap off and it's literally just a cap. Like, everything yeah. else is hair. It's like, oh, okay. Um... <laughs> So both stores start selling their competitors' items in a very obvious attempt to be like, fuck you, we're doing your thing. So mm-hmm. Deep fried pizza. Deep fried pizza, the pizza bits. Yeah. Uh, French fry pizza with fresh French fry stuffed crust and French fries on the side. It's hard to watch this episode and not end up hungry, which is what we did. <gasps> yeah, we, we were all sat hungry. there like, I'm really hungry now. <laughs> um, fish... Fish Stew wants to literally brand a VIP mark onto yeah. Stephen. It's so, like, oh, it's a reward for being a good customer. Uh, of the two people in this restaurant war, I think Stew clearly is the one that takes it a bit too far. Because Stew is the one that is threatening to literally brand people. Is Stew a coffee? Co- it's co- coffee, the place oh. is oh, called Fish, fish Stew. Pizza. Yeah, sorry, I, I went down a weird that's track fine. there. Uh, Kofi from Fish Stew Pizza. Yeah, yeah no, that's, I've been calling him Stew for a while. Sorry about that's that. That's fine, I only just picked up on it and I was no. uh, like, <laughs> Kofi. Kofi is the one who's clearly yeah. going a bit overboard. Because yeah. um, again, when Kofi realised that like PT sold some mozzarella sticks, he could have gone and asked, why did you do that rather than starting to sell fries. Yeah. I also He's... love that it's that's the base ingredients of a pizza. Yeah, as if the, as if there's obviously rules in this treaty of like yeah, you can't like, use you can't use cheese or tomato sauce. Okay, yeah, yeah. well they can use tomato sauce because well, the combination is cheese, tomato sauce, and bread as a trio yeah. is basically a pizza, and that's also basically a mozzarella stick. That's I can see that. Yeah. Um, so they decide to try and end the war by Ronaldo and Kiki pretending to be in love, and Ronaldo. <clears throat> Says that he has a girlfriend, doesn't want to do this love plan in case it causes problems. Yeah. Um, Everyone is just kind of like, "Mm -hmm, Yeah, the joke is that, like, yeah, like... the evidence evidence was there last episode, and that's probably the reason we can't swap episodes uh, 89 and 90. There you go, there is continuity. There is continuity that stops us from (laughs) swapping these episodes. I just want to mention it real quick before that. um, When they're in the restaurant and... Uh, Fryman's trying to get Ronaldo to deliver the pizzas. Um, Ronaldo is like, oh, but I can't connect to Kofi's Wi-Fi because he wants to connect to Fish Stew Wi-Fi. So clearly, because Kofi must know that happens, he's changed his internet password. 
<laughs> so yeah. Ronaldo so can't get on the internet. He can't update his blog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel really bad for Ronaldo here because Ronaldo legitimately has a relationship and is completely dismissed by everyone who doesn't believe him. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, he expresses discomfort with this plan because not only does this plan require him to pretend to be in love with someone else, but presumably to do so long term, because I don't know what the exit strategy for this plan is, yeah, because it's... you have to keep this plan going long enough that it's not obvious it was a ruse. Mm, um, I definitely have thought this through, really. Yeah, so and he's, <clears throat> he's really pressured into it, and he keep, he ends up having a real consequence of it, and I feel so bad for him. Yeah, like, he's a character that's obviously played for laughs, and there is some dark humour to this, but it's, like, he doesn't deserve... This. Well, it's Stephen unknowingly starting a kind of Romeo and Juliet situation. Yes, the I families th- are feuding, and let's love. Yeah, it's yeah. A clear illusion, and obviously that did not work in the play. Either. Exactly. <laughs> what are you on about? It worked out so great for both Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> oh, yes, it was two dead teenagers. Spoilers for like a play that's like what five hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. They they enact their plan with very poor acting, like, oh, I am so in love with you. Yes, you are the one that I love. <laughs> but they're both blushing a hell of a lot. Yeah. Probably because they're teenagers embarrassed to be pretending to be in love. That's a, yeah. It's an embarrassing thing to do. Um, mm. So, you two were only hugging, right? <laughs> like, yep, just yeah. hugging along his stairs. Um, we will end this feud for love. And then the girlfriend from the cinema turns up to return... Um, koala Hime. Uh, yeah, to return his uh, Koala Princess DVDs. Mm-hmm. Um, sees this love and cries and runs away. And everything is bad for Ronaldo and I feel really bad for him. Yeah. Ronaldo did not deserve this. No. I just want to mention about the Koala Hime um, mm. DVDs. Does that mean that Ronaldo is just a romantic or is it that Ronaldo is a furry? I think it's just meant to be like a goofy anime. I think it was just meant to be like silly, weird anime. Yeah. But like, I don't think it was meant to be that he's attracted to the Koala Princess. <laughs> yeah, that's not how I read it. My, my assumption was that Koala Princess was like in some way meant to be a play on the word like koala being similar to kawaii. Possibly oh, that yeah. there was maybe... That could like, be it. Koala princess, yeah, like, like there princess. was some like there was a like oh those are similarish sounding words yeah. to to make a silly title of an anime out yeah. of maybe that's that's like reverse engineering the title I could see it coming from um, I'm sticking with Ronaldo being a furry okay okay <laughs> uh, that's my head cannon. I find it really <laughs> sad the line that the girlfriend gives before she leaves um, you'd better keep updating your blog keep Beach City single <laughs> oh. oh no. no. She um, seems genuinely really hurt. Like she was really invested. Wouldn't you in be hurt if, like, even if like Retta ended up telling you it was all to like try and end a restaurant <laughs> feud? If you turned up and Retta was declaring her undying love for someone else in front of two restaurant owners, yes, but one of who was my mother. The, the point I was getting at is that this doesn't seem like it was just a super casual relationship. Like, yeah. th- this is an actual, like, relationship that they were had feelings of. Yeah, it, it's not, like, Ronaldo doesn't say, like, oh, I'm seeing someone. He's very, like, I have a girlfriend. Yeah. I don't want to do this plan. I'm uncomfortable because I don't want to do this because I have a girlfriend. It does seem like it is a very, like, monogamous, committed yeah. thing. Yeah. His girlfriend's a lot gentler than I would be in that situation. Like, if I walked in on that, I'd be like, the hell, Mia? What the hell do you think you're doing? <laughs> 
That would be entirely justified. <laughs> so, yeah, I wouldn't. Like, I'd be upset, but I think I would be, like, shouting my head off as well. Ronaldo caves instantly and admits mm-hmm. that the plan is a fake. He's yeah. just like, I'm sorry! Yeah. <laughs> um... So the original treaty came about because there was a restaurant that was selling all kinds of food. The all-you-can-eat buffet. Yep. And both of the restaurants originally teamed up and signed the treaty to run this all-you-can-eat restaurant out of town. I feel kind of bad for the all-you-can-eat restaurant that was providing yeah. a valuable service to the Wasn't town. Wasn't it called, like, the everything buffet? Because they sold uh, everything. Yeah, like... An everything buffet is a really good thing for a town to have as an option, and you ran them out of town as a business. Yeah, that seems a bit harsh. Uh, so Stephen turns his house into a restaurant in order to try and reenact this plan. Initially, it seems like his food is going to be terrible. Yeah, That's I thought, thought they were going to be like, this is disgusting, this is the perfect excuse for us to... Uh... Go back and show you how it's really done. And yeah. Show you our specialities. Yeah. And, mm. But no, it turns out Stephen is a culinary genius. Apparently. The ketchup <laughs> is in the fries. Uh, pizza on a bagel. You can eat pizza anywhere. Uh, anytime. Uh, I, I find this res- like end of plot kind of odd. Like, do they really think they're threatened by this two-table restaurant that's round the back of the beach? No one well, can it's probably just, oh my god, if you decided to go big with this, we you will be better, out of You business. are better yeah. at both of our specialities yeah. than we are. Yeah. Like, you have things that we... To be fair, both of these restaurants could just steal Stephen's gimmicks. That's what I thought. I was watching it and I was like, if they're that impressed, why don't they just do that? Yeah, but... You know, don't want to, don't want to, It's yeah. a small town. You can't steal from someone without it being publicised. Stephen would be like, this not my thing. And everyone would turn against them. But but the restaurant was are about stealing. <laughs> but they could have just... Like, the way they could have resolved it is they could have, like, begged Stephen for the recipes of it. And Stephen goes, okay, you can have it if you stop this war. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But no, the resolution is, Stephen, your two-table business in your living room that you clearly <laughs> created just to stop this uh, feud, it's too good. Please yeah. stop. Like, the the implication given earlier in the episode is that, like, they angrily teamed up to run this business out of town. Yeah. But in hindsight, maybe they just cried at yeah. the all-you-can-eat buffet <laughs> until they were like, I feel bad for you, I'll leave. It was a, a tragic team. Yeah. So they cry, Stephen agrees to close his restaurant, the feud is over, everything's fine. It's um, a recurring theme in this set of episodes that you shouldn't do things out of hate and spite. Oh, well done, you found a recurring theme. You found a recurring theme, go Retta, this is why we have you on the show. (laughs) Good old pattern recognition Retta. Yeah, yeah. It's that nickname we always give you. Of course, we say it all the time. You've been using that for years. Off of the podcast, this is, of course. Yeah, of course. course. Anything that we say happens off of the podcast. If we say it happened, it's now podcast canon. Exactly. (laughs) Just like Terence is sat there right now being really cool. Yeah, and and Mia can fly. Exactly. That's that's podcast canon now. (laughs) Um, So, are we up for moving on to the next episode? Yes. I do not have much more to say on this restaurant. No, like this middle pair of episodes, I have very little to say on them. They're going to be fairly short yeah, ones to run like through. The, the next episode, I could basically sum up in like two sentences. Pretty much. Um, so, episode 91, Kiki's Pizza Delivery Service. 
Stephen makes a fancy meal. Um, one of the nicest touches of this meal, I think, is when he overfills his wine glass of orange juice and like slurps the top <laughs> because it was too tall and yeah, too high. Yeah. It's a very human thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it plays with expectations because like it looks like he's setting up for a date yes. at the beginning. But of course, it's just himself eating it's, pizza. It's just pizza for one. And mm-hmm. I really like that Stephen takes the time to do this, that he makes a nice ambience and setting yeah. just for himself, himself. Just to be like, no, I want to have a nice evening. Not enough people do that in no. this world. Take the time to treat themselves nicely to just, I'm having dinner by myself, but yeah. I'm going to make that a nice event. Self-care is important. Yeah. This is a very good example of, like, making a mundane thing very simply into something fancy. Mm-hmm. I um, support this. Yeah. Kiki's working a double shift as Jenny broke the car, and Kiki does running anyway, so... um She's running to do deliveries. Mm-hmm. She broke the car using Sour Cream's mixtape that blew out the tyres. <laughs> that must have been very loud. Yeah, it's quite the DJ set, it seems. Um, Stephen has a dream where it's a cool dream with Pizza World and he's flying, having an adventure. Before that, um, Jenny asks if he's going to be having someone cute over or something like that. And he says, oh, you mean besides, besides me? me? <laughs> He felt himself cute, and that's kind of adorable. Hooray for positive self-image. Yeah. And one thing that I thought, like, the last episode where you mentioned um, Stephen should use his healing powers and be a backstreet, like, witch doctor. Yeah. Well, one thing that I wondered during this episode is, um, could Stephen bubble the pizzas and send them where they need to go? What, in the dream? Oh, oh, in no. the real life. Uh, isn't the the deal with pizza uh, with uh, with pizzas? <laughs> isn't the deal with bubbles that it sends them to the home? Yeah, home. That's. I'm pretty sure home is the word because when Peridot eventually bubbles her first gem, it goes back to the barn, and that's a whole thing of like, oh, the barn is home, and but that's what I figured that it was them putting them where they wanted them to go. I don't think they have I, the I power th- to send them where they. No, want. I think it's they go back to the place that is viewed as home. So mm-hmm. like the gems live at the temple, so they go back to the temple. Well, it'd be kind of shitty if she wasn't thinking of the barn as home yet, and she was like, "I'll send this home." Oh, now it's in home. Yeah, but you, you see my you see my point. Like, I don't think it's they're sending them to a place that they're thinking of because the yeah. whole point with Peridot is that like the revelation that the bubble popped into the barn is its whole like resolution mm-hmm. of like oh that's home yeah. and that's yeah. a sweet thing so I don't I see what you mean now is could Stephen have delivered the pizzas by mm-hmm. bubble sending I don't think so I think they all would have ended up in it the has. temple room <laughs> um so this cool pizza flying adventure world dream is happening and it turns out Kiki is drowning in melted cheese it's not a very pleasant thing and Stephen saves her mm-hmm it's a good thing he has rockets for bones. Yep. Anything is possible when you have rockets for bones. Um, lucid dreaming is very fun. That's yeah. what Stephen is demonstrating here. <laughs> I wish I could lucid dream. It seems I've, like a really cool thing. I've lucid dreamed a few times. It is very fun. I, I've done so, like, never deliberately, but there are people who, like, train themselves to be able to lucid yeah, dream whenever I've, they want. I've heard the specific things you can do. And I know the only thing I can remember you meant to do is... Every time you wake up, the first thing you meant to do is write down what dream you just had. Yeah. Just to kind of keep it in your mind. And that's something to do with, like, being able to 
remember your dreams more and then eventually you get the power to influence your dreams yeah so for anyone who doesn't know lucid dreaming is basically having control over your actions in a dream it's like, like be, being aware that you're dreaming and as such being able to control the dream yeah basically it's kind of like you haven't woken up but you become conscious of the fact i am dreaming i can wake up whenever i want but i'm going to stay in this dream and just have fun yeah. i've only ever done that when it's been a nightmare and the only thing i do with it is wake myself up yeah, because I know if I, I roll well. my eyes back into my head whilst I'm having a nightmare, it will wake me up. I used to have that life. as a kid a lot. When I was a child, I used to have a lot of nightmares that I would be like, "Oh, this is a nightmare. Time to wake up." Yeah, like I once had one where it's really. Don't you laugh at me at this? It was <laughs> flying um, vampire turtles were flying into the windows, okay. and I was like, "Ah, oh, this is so scary!" Wait a minute, turtles don't fly. What's going on here? <laughs> so I woke myself up and was just like, "That was weird." Yeah. So uh, Kiki's covering for Jenny again at the pe- at the pizza shop, and. Uh, they realise they both shared a dream. Kind of obvious, well, but yeah. It's obvious to us, but to them maybe not, because, like, you know, you don't assume that you had the same dream as someone. You, they both excitedly went to tell each other their dream, and yeah. uh, I, Kiki's just like, and, and then it ended like this. Ah, you yeah. was dream, Stephen. Well, we, we know that Stephen can go into people's dreams, so yeah. I feel like Stephen should have at least suspected. Well, I, I wouldn't assume <clears> that... Every time Stephen has a dream that another person is in, That's he true. assumes that he's Actually, incepting yeah. their dreams. Like, did should he have accepted it? Should he have expected that he'd incepted into Dogcopter's dream? You know, <laughs> maybe. maybe Dogcopter is real and he keeps incepting into his dreams. Um, I love the word incepting. Yeah. Now I just want to read it, write a book called "What to Expect When You Are Incepting." <laughs> <laughs> um, so Kiki has this drowning in pizza dream a lot and asks Stephen to save her so she can sleep well. Um, Stephen is very excited to be a dream warrior. Mm-hmm. Is that a reference to Nightmare on Elm Street? Dream I think warriors? so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, excited to be a dream warrior. We get a montage. One thing important we learn from this montage, Stephen does need to sleep. Yeah. Because yeah, so- we've discussed this before, does yeah, Stephen need yeah. to sleep? Uh, he does need to sleep. He gets tired when he doesn't sleep. Seemingly, not only does he need to sleep, when he's inhabiting someone else's dream, he isn't sleeping. Yeah, yeah. he needs to have restorative... I don't know if that's what Sleep. Yeah. Basically, he needs to get to the REM stage of sleep, mm-hmm. or it doesn't mm-hmm. work. Which, presumably, he's not going into REM sleep. Mm-hmm. He's, he's entering someone else's REM sleep while conscious. Yeah, he's Professor Xing his way into people's minds. Yeah, so being having like dream visions, he doesn't get a good night's sleep when he does mm-hmm. that. Um, <coughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's fine. We're all quite allergy-fired this morning. My voice yeah. does not sound good. So I'm going to need you all to, like, I forgot to pull up, like, my various transcripts before we started recording this episode. So mm-hmm. I'm going to need you all to just, like, talk about your thoughts of the episode for a second while I pull up a transcript. Okay. So do do the thing for me. <laughs> One thing that I'm going to mention is Kiki is running herself ragged for her twin, Jenny, and Stephen is running himself ragged for Kiki. So yeah. Stephen's running, running himself ragged for Kiki, who is running herself ragged for Jenny. They're both going out of their way for someone else and doing more than they could because they're not looking at yeah. themselves. And, and it shows that Jenny, what she's doing is really selfish and it's having a knock-on effect. Yes, yeah, It's, it's not just affecting her sister, it's then also affecting Stephen. Yeah. Well, it's the whole conclusion <clears throat> we get to this episode is Stephen turning around and being like, I told you when I, you know, was being run too ragged and had enough. And it was okay to you, therefore you should do that to your sister and it'll be okay there. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so Stephen gets, like, way too tired and gets really, really exasperated. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to That's find okay. It, okay, my exasperated Stephen. Um, <laughs> I find it amusing that Dogcopter meows. Yeah, he's like, oh, thanks, Dogcopter. Dogcopter just kind of looks at him and goes, meow. And then I, just flies <laughs> off. It's like, what? I had forgotten that. Like, after earlier on when we see Dogcopter give, like, sagely advice, yeah. I was expecting him to be talking again. Yeah, but no, it just meows yeah, before he leaves. It's just underlining that this is a complete nonsense stream. Unless Lion was in the room and he just could... Here, lion, lion, lion meowing it. I, I found the thing I was looking okay. for. Hooray, I got there. So, um, Stephen falls asleep eating pizza because Kiki's like, hey, here's pizza. Oh, pizza for breakfast. <laughs> no, it's three in the afternoon. You haven't been sleeping. Yeah. Um, Stephen gets very agitated. Uh, Kiki, you got to quit your job. I think you have a serious problem with pizza. And Kiki's like, no, I don't have a problem with pizza. I don't know, Kiki. I think you do. <laughs> Um, and he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yell, but like, it's, he, he does get exasperated and then they have a conversation about like, I am being, you know, I'm being worked too hard. I can help you this one last time, but I do need to stop doing this. I can't keep doing this for Mm -hmm, you. mm -hmm. And Kiki's like, I get it. You have been helpful to me. I will stop putting this pressure on you. Thank you for the help you did do. I'm not annoyed at you for stopping. And... This is what Kiki needs to do with her sister. And Stephen says, we need to track this back to the sauce. (laughs) Yep. We've been looking at this problem starting with the toppings, but we need to go to the sauce. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Stephen uh, goes into the dream one last time, picks up Kiki, and they fly into the forehead of Cheese Kiki to go to the... Presumably the metaphor here is the visual metaphor of going into the depths of her mind. Yes. Yeah, just like, what is going on inside your mind yeah. that is causing this issue? Ah, pepperonas! Anchovies and pepperonas! Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah, so we, we, get a, we get a conversation between Kiki and... I've, I've described her in my notes as Cheese Jenny. <laughs> yeah, that's also how uh, um, I named her, Cheese Jenny. Basic, yeah. I just want to mention real quick, this is another um, example of holding on to anger and negative emotions is damaging yeah. for you. Oh my god, it's, well done. Yeah, you I are, told you there is a running theme. It is, it is definitely a running theme. What's the next one? Uh, I don't know that it necessarily goes on to the next episode as well, but we'll look out for it in case it does. <laughs> we'll find a way. Um, if it does, I'll yeah. have written it down and I'll find it. Basically, it's a lot of pe- uh Okay, the transcript I'm looking at has her written down as Pizza Jenny. I think Cheese Jenny is Cheese better. Jenny makes more sense. She is cheese. There's yeah. no, like, pepperoni She's entirely or made out of cheese. Um, basically, it's a lot of Jenny being like, oh, will you, will you cover for me again? I want to go to this really cool cheese... Cheese yeah. rave. Oh, it's a cheese There's rave a, in a pizza cave. Yeah, the cheese rave in the pizza cave. Um, and Kiki has to learn to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, she does a lot of lying, saying it's totally fine, and Stephen's like, "No, you're having nightmares. This is clearly not fine. Yeah, you need to say no." As usual, really good message for yeah. kids and adults because I learned this the hard way. Like, yeah, it's a short story, but I don't know if I mentioned this. Um, like last year, there was a lot going on and a lot of people um, were kind of depending on me for help. And I was like, that's fine. I like helping people. Like I got, I got my way to help people. So I was doing my best and I was feeling a bit overwhelmed. Um, and I was like, no, it's fine. I can deal with this. And then 
when I was in a hotel lobby and someone came over to talk to me about someone who, I mean, I don't want to give details, but basically this person who I was being asked to help that I didn't really know on top of everything else. And I just broke down in tears to this stranger in the middle of the hotel. And that was my moment of, okay, I need to say no to some people because I'm just stretching myself so thin. I had been telling you for ages before that you needed to. I think we'd all been telling you for a (laughs) while you needed to, like... Just yeah. like, you need to focus on you for a while, okay? Le- you can't do everything for everyone. Learning to say no was a big thing for me as well. I yeah. It took me a long time to learn to do that. And it's a really big thing because, you know, you want peop- the people around you to like you is a part yeah, of it. It's like, yeah. you never want anyone to be disappointed because you said no and therefore you say yes and that runs you ragged mm-hmm. and eventually you snap yep. like Stephen did earlier <laughs> in the episode. Mm-hmm. Getting really I still snappy. struggle with it because of with my disability. Mm. If anyone's kind of like, "Oh, can you go and get X Y Z for me?" Yeah, I automatically want to go. Yeah, sure. Even though I'm disabled and it'll cause me a lot of pain, but you could do it without any pain. Yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then afterwards, I'm like, "Oh, I'm in so much pain. It's because of that thing." And it's like, then just say no. It is difficult. It's yeah. like, oh, we always say, oh, this is such a good message for kids. I think this is a good message for adults. Yeah. It's I a good message for everyone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, can I go to the cheese rave in the pizza cave? No! Angrily <laughs> shouted, and pizza, cheese pizza Jenny's just like, okay, fine, and bubbles away, and everything's fine. Yeah, Because she, you know, <laughs> might have been a bit grumbly, but she said it's fine, and the yeah, thing's solved. I do like that that's the ending. It's like... She tells her no, and the response is like, oh, okay, we had to talk about it, fair enough. Mm-hmm. There's no anger involved. Yeah. There's no resentment. Um, I think one thing that's really nice about this that we didn't really touch on at the beginning is a big part of why Kiki sort of self-rationalised that it was okay for her to do all the deliveries um, is that Kiki runs anyway. And therefore yeah. it's like, well, I'd be running anyway, so it's fine if I do it for work. And the highlighting the difference between, like, doing something because it's for work versus doing that same thing for fun. Mm-hmm. My thing is um, doing something because you want to is vastly different than doing the same thing because you have yeah. to. Mm-hmm. So, like, when Jenny is back at work, Kiki uses that day off to run, but not for Jenny, but for herself. Also, and yeah. I can definitely empathise a lot with this as, like, there is a really big difference in my life between playing a video game for work and doing so for fun. Mm, and like that seems like a really weird thing to describe because people are always like, oh, you play video games for work, that's so fun. I'm like, mm. it's a very different thing when you have to do something for work because you have to when you don't have an option not to. Yeah. And like, you have to do it in this specific way at this time with these extra like conditions on top rather than just, I'm doing this because it's what I want yeah. right now. I know what you mean. Like I used to review a lot of comic books and like... Reading a comic for review can be exhausting because um, you read it and like I'm sure it's the same with games. Like you're thinking, okay, I have to like make note of this. I have to analyze how this is feeling. I have yeah. to think about the pacing. Does this work? But like when you do something for fun, it's just like just you can do, just enjoy the moment rather than having to be like, what of what of written value can I ascertain from yeah, this moment? Yeah. Um, and Jenny kind of ish gets the deal. Mm. She she doesn't seem like she totally gets what's gone on, but it's it's enough to at least make the change. Yeah. Can't it's... say no to my fave twin. 
Yeah, I can't say no to my favorite twin. It's like, yeah, but you maybe sometimes should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not right now, but know that it is okay to say no to your favorite yeah. twin. Um, and then the last episode we have of this batch is episode 92, Monster Reunion. This is such a good episode. It is such a good episode. <laughs> there is so much to talk about in this one. I have a ton of notes for this. So, first note I have for this one we do get confirmation that Stephen's uh, healing power can be used on like in- non-living objects. inanimate objects. Yeah, because uh, he heals MC Bear Bear's tear tear um, yeah, by that's... kissing it back together. Apparently, he doesn't have to be a complete lick. It's just his saliva. It seems seemingly. So he doesn't have to grossly lick people no. back to health. He could just kiss them back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of cute. I like that way of looking at it. He does go back to licking very quickly though. Um, <laughs> Stephen wants to heal Centipedal. Basically, his healing power is back and up and running. He can heal inanimate objects. He wants to use it to try and cure and heal Centipedal. Yeah, that's the first thing he thinks of. Yeah, because like he, I think a lot of that is because he knows Centipedal has a level of like sentience. He's he's worked with Centipedal. They yeah. went on a mission yeah. together. Centipedal like protected him. It's like you protected me. I want to do this yeah, for you. Yeah, we already have kind of a connection. Yeah. Now, since the last sentence that was just said, we've taken a break. Uh, I passed my roller derby minimum skills and got drunk. So we're finishing the episode with me a little bit drunk. Mm-hmm. And both Mia and Retter are okay with that, so... Yeah, we're sober, so we, yeah. we can carry it if things get a bit too weird. Yeah, it's fine. I might just be a little bit more wishy-washy. <laughs> I might not be the, the usual... Um, Iron Taskmaster that I am getting us like point to point to point. Yeah. I might rely on you both to lead That's me fine. through slightly. Can, You'll have to rely that. on Mia for that. I'm afraid I flit around like crazy all the yeah. time anyway. So I believe where we left it uh, before the previous sentence was that Stephen wanted to heal Centipedal because there's there's a connection there mm-hmm. already. That sounds correct to me. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, Stephen tries to heal Centipedal and is surprisingly proficient at it. Um, all of the gems are shocked. And the impression I get is that Rose tried to do this before and was unsuccessful. And that Stephen, at least in this regard, has surpassed Rose. Yeah, because yeah, this is the furthest we've ever, we've ever got so far. Yeah. This is the best this has ever worked. Yeah. It gives the impression that Rose tried to heal gems. And it just did nothing, I'm assuming. Yeah, because yeah, they go out of their way to say, like, being corrupted is not being cracked. Like, this yeah, is yeah. this is not a physical healing. I really like the, the conversation they have here about the difference between physical pain and mental health issues, where it's yeah. like... It's the difference between trying to fix a physical crack and trying to fix the mind of MC Bear Bear. Yeah, it, it was the thing, wasn't it? It's Instead of it just being the fabric of MC Bear Bear that teared, it's it would be f- like the fabric of his mind, mind that teared. It's yeah. just like, and you see well... This, you see this with a lot of depictions of corrupted gems in the series, is that there is not necessarily no level of consciousness, but that it is a different type of consciousness. Yeah, this, that something has changed mentally with them. Yeah, this, there's a level of self-awareness there. They're not yeah. just completely mindless. It's, it's the difference between going from human to animal as opposed to human to brain dead. Yeah. In that there is still a semblance of human-esque sentience and thought process, even mm-hmm. if it's not what we would expect of a humanoid creature. Yeah. Um, Stephen turns Centipedal into a almost human. 
Yeah, they kind of like teases a bit, don't they? Like we see that she's got hands and it looks like she's got hair and it's like, oh, is she... And she still has a weird snapping acid mouth for her yeah, face. Yeah, like her face <laughs> is completely monstrous. Um, Garnet's response is to instantly try and rebubble her and Stephen has to fight and say no. Mm. Yeah, because it's... Um, Garnet tells Amethyst to rebubble... to repop her. And when Stephen says no, Garnet grabs him and, like, turns his head towards her chest and it's like, it's okay, you don't have to watch. And Stephen's like, no, that's not what I mean. Yeah, yeah. it's not that I don't want to you know see this i don't want it to happen full stop yeah. mm-hmm. well i just want to mention one thing that i did like pearl says why did you agree to to this and garnet says i lost a battle of will because <laughs> yeah. Stephen does the puppy dog eyes that yeah. no Gar- one can resist. garnet can see the future and can see that she's never gonna not give in to the puppy dog eyes it's too relentlessly adorable mm-hmm. um so Stephen really mm. makes the case that Centipedal still has some semblance of humanity. Mm-hmm. He makes the the case for like you know she can understand what's going on. She is scared because she can perceive what's happening. I should try and talk to her. We shouldn't just bubble her out of nowhere because she is a thinking, understandable creature that can be communicated with. Yeah, exactly. I feel like this is going to be a long episode. I'm so like not <laughs> far into these notes. There's a lot to talk That's about. That's fine. This it's cool. Um. Centipedal is brought into the house and remembers the chiaps jingle and loves chiaps. This, yeah. it, it's nice because it's just a reminder that this is the, the same gem. Yeah, that's what's used as kind of the thing that um, she has memory and she does remember the time and when she was kind of feral and monster. Yeah, because at first yeah. Stephen thinks that she has no memories of yeah. him and he's like, do you yeah. really not remember yeah, me? The seagull. I think, I think yeah. the most important thing that teaches us is going forwards whenever fighting a gem mutant, it's this gem mutant will remember what you do to it mm-hmm. yep. because just because they can't communicate in this state doesn't mean they won't remember and when they're eventually healed, hold it against you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that, like, there's going to be so many gems in the temple that are just going to, like, if and when they do get healed, that are just going to be like, no, fuck you guys. <laughs> Why <laughs> did you beat me up? <laughs> you beat the shit out of me, you popped me, and then you kept me bubbled for a few centuries. Screw you. To be you. fair, you were a feral monster at the time. <laughs> but you still wouldn't really necessarily see it that way. Yeah. If you had some form of consciousness and you were trying to get them to help you and the first thing they did was attack you and pop you. I think it depends on the gem, because some of them are clearly very aggressive and don't have their self-control. Maybe they're the ones that were on the other side. You think maybe degrees of corruption? Mm. Or are you thinking they were people who were on, like, the if they were fighting for Homeworld, that's why they are more aggressive when they are corrupted gem mutants? Because... That one? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> See, even while drunk, I can still explain what's going on. I know what's up. I'm glad, because I'm not good at explaining myself. Um... So Stephen decides that the best way to try and communicate with Centipedal is through art. Because he initially asks her to do writing, and it looks like she's just done scribbles that are unintelligible. (coughs) Sorry. I wanted to say something, but then at the same time I really needed to cough. I was going to say, he asks what her name is, and that's when she writes... No, she says... Is it... (laughs) And he says, he tells her to write it down, though. That's when he gets the crayons and everything. And 
that means seemingly we do have a name for this gem, the but only the gems know it. Yeah. They just didn't yeah. tell us what it is. Mm. Yeah, so it turns out, as we later find out, this is like legible gem language text. Yeah. Language text. Um, but at the time, it just seems like she's just scribbled. Yeah, it's played for a joke. Yeah. Um, I almost took it as being like, she's not fixed yet. Yeah, that's, mm. that's definitely the kind of um, solution they're, they're going for. Yeah. Um, so Stephen in- suggests they should talk with Art. He draws himself, and Centipedal draws them holding hands. And it's, it's really sweet, but it's also a really nice reminder that she does remember that she has a connection with Stephen. Yeah, yeah. And that she, she definitely that doesn't see Stephen as a foe. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go through in a second a bunch of facts we learn about Centipedal through Art. And a lot of this is interpretive, because... There's not a lot of detail in this art. Yeah, it's a really cool stylized choice, though. Like, yeah. to do, like, animated crayon art tells a story. It's, yeah, it's a cool it, choice. It tells a very violent story in a very child-accessible way, and there's a very good example of that we'll get to in a second. Mm. But Centipedal was the captain of a ship and had crew. Presumably she was fighting on the side of Homeworld. Um, she did a diamond salute to a yellow gem that I interpreted to be yellow diamond. Me too. I think um, it's yellow diamond. The hair is different. and It's you Afro hair. Out. Yeah, it's definitely not the hair that we know yellow it's diamond It's like Stephen hair. It is. Maybe it has... it's the Dr. Maheshwaran hair. <laughs> so, like, the two options are either this is yellow diamond who has changed form since then and has different hair, or is a different yellow diamond. This could be like a yellow agate or something. Yeah. Um, an armada came to colonize the earth and the gem war began. Basically, they came to collect resources from the earth and war broke out after they arrived. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of death portrayed. And this is the thing where they portray a war in a very child-friendly way. Crayon lines through swathes of troops. Yeah, dead. It's just, just like they yeah. they were gone. They, they never were gone. They never say death, but it is just angry straight lines through troops to be like they're gone, they're gone, they're gone. Yeah, which is presumably the crystal gems poofing them. Yeah, it's. Mm. I, I would assume they're poofing them and not shattering them, yeah. but they're at the very least like they are defeating a lot of homeworld mm. gems. Mm. Um, Centipedal gets separated from her crew. Everyone is running. The armada flees, but Centipedal's still trapped on Earth. It hasn't been able to make it back to the ship. Yeah. Then we hear a song. Do you want to talk about what I pointed out about this yes. song? Yes. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it, Mia? <laughs> okay, just making sure I'm not going to get interrupted by singing. Um, yeah, it's the organ sound from What's the Use yeah. of Feeling Blue. It's which... the organs that the pearls hum along to at the beginning of What's the yeah, Use of Feeling Blue. Which we also hear when um, Peridot contacts yellow diamond yeah it's yellow diamond's theme basically is what we hear or at the very least it is a diamond theme of some yeah. kind. yeah and it is it is a very nice way of <clears throat> musically telling you this is what the diamonds like if you hear this sound you should be scared this is the diamonds yeah like i had completely forgotten that steven specifically says that it's a song so yeah. the weapon that fired, we always see it as light, but at this point we yeah. hear it's there is, sound There is a sound well. that was like audible enough that Centipedal remembered it and 
hold it on to Stephen. It was clearly important. The music was an important yeah. thing. See, I, this makes sense because the weapon in that case was probably sound and it was something that messed with the gem's frequency that, rather than being mm. something that physically caused damage. I've never thought of that, but that's a really good reading on it, that it is just a flash of light and a song. Because that would make sense why it's not damaged like the environment, for instance. It wasn't like an explosion. Yeah. Physical matter isn't affected by light or sound yeah. in the same and way. And they are refractions of light. Yeah. yeah. So it's, assumingly they just disrupted it with something. Yeah. It's My assumption is that the flash of light like disrupted them and the sound corrupted them. Yeah. It's like disrupt and corrupt is the pair of things they did. That's my interpretation too. Um so yeah, we kind of touched on it, but there's this big colourful colour corruption explosion which is presumably the thing that Rose bubbled protected Pearl and Garnet with yeah. and protected literally like just the two of them mm. and maybe uh what's her name? Bismuth. Yeah, yeah. Like, we don't know the timeline for when Bismuth was bubbled. Yeah, but... she was possibly bubbled before this, possibly after yeah, but if I bu- think before. If Bismuth was still around, she'd have been bubbled as well here. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just her crew of closest people. Mm-hmm. And Amethyst was okay because she was still in her hole. Yeah, she's still cooking. Um, Centipetal, at this point, starts crying onto the page. Yeah. It's yeah. just... That explosion happens, and the impression I got is that's the last moment of true sentience she had. And And that's why she cries, is because after that, she just wasn't herself anymore. Yeah, because it broke her mind. Yeah, it broke her to the point that she was was an animal, she was a creature, she wasn't herself. It was horrible. Yeah, she just stops and cries, and Stephen asks who did this to her. And she draws the diamonds. I think there's a couple of important things. Yeah. Okay. So she draws three of the diamonds, not all four. And we discussed, like, the the shape of diamonds. Uh, the one that's missing is pink diamond at the bottom. Uh, presumably because pink's already dead yeah, by this point. Uh, she draws them in black and white. When she has coloured crayons <clears throat> available. The white was the light. She scribbled white over the original drawing to show that the white light covered everything yeah so this is my thought is is this evidence of white diamond is a fusion maybe and that white diamond or even if white diamond's not a fusion white diamond is ultimately the one who enacted that blast yeah my reading of it is that if anything i think it's that white diamond was in charge of the blast which the moon base to me looked like white diamonds there's a lot of things like the communicator that's taken from that chair in the base is white. Yeah. The chair is white. There's a lot of white. The moon is white. It would make sense for that to yeah. be a white diamond base. I, I, I can see the white diamond yeah. having been in the moon and launched Whether it she's a f- fusion or not, the implication is definitely like, I think the fact that it's all black and white is supposed to suggest that white diamond ultimately was the one to launch that mm. blast that corrupted all the gems. Yeah. Um... Centipedal at this point starts to re-corrupt. It's a really distressing scene. Yeah. One um, theory that I had about this is that it's because Stephen's powers are related to his emotions. Maybe his healing in the form of kisses, because he does he normally does it by licks, but in this episode he yeah. only does kisses. And maybe that 
is failing because Stephen's getting distressed when she's getting distressed. I had a similar but slightly different theory. My read was that centipede <coughs> getting distressed meant that where Stephen's healing had allowed her to sort of get her form back, yeah. she wasn't able to hold it. And as soon as she was distressed, she lost her ability to sort of hold her form. Yeah, that was my reading as well. That The anxiety of remembering this incident and kind of yeah. explaining it is what <clears throat> leaves her yeah. really rattled. And that's well, what makes her like... fall apart. Let me finish my damn point. <laughs> <laughs> that was aggressive. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that aggressive. No, I don't mind. I, 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 I want to hear what you have to say. I meant it in a funny way. I want to hear what you have to no, say. No, no, everyone's listening is going to think I'm <laughs> evil. It was meant it's, to be a joke. It don't matter, I can't remember anyway. Oh no, I am evil. <laughs> You're not evil. It was about, you. we were discussing, like, um, the anxiety may have made her on farm because Stephen's powers and emotions and... It, it was something to do with um, Garnet saying it was, like, a tear in her mind, basically. When she's mm. getting distressed... Her mind is under stress and it begins to oh, re-corrupt. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Is it like Stephen's only just sort of like not fully sewn her mind back together, but just sort of tacked it back together? Yeah, so the and stress um, the stress down. is making it yeah, all come undone like, again. It wasn't fixed enough that it could withstand that tear. Good enough point, Mia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <Yes>. bitch. <laughs> so, I yeah. apologise, that was I, a good point. Not, not only is this scene distressing to watch as a viewer, it's clearly mm. distressing for Centipedal, and mm. understandably so. She's managed to regain some semblance of sentience, and within probably, I don't know, a few hours, I, I get the feeling, Yeah, it's slipping away from her again, and this time it's not a sudden blast, it's she can feel it going bit by bit. Yeah, it's a horrible idea, the idea it, of feeling yourself in like a very rapid time frame, just losing your mind, basically. It's, it's a thing that people in the real world have to go through when affected by... A mentally yeah. degenerative conditions like, mm-hmm. say, brain tumours or Alzheimer's is the conscious awareness that your mind is going. Yeah. And that's a really distressing thing to see from the outside. Mm-hmm. Like, my, my gran had a pretty bad brain tumour last year and she ultimately died from it. It was really distressing both for her and myself to see this sort of rapid losing of herself. I had the same experience yeah. with uh, my great-granddad when I was a teenager. He went from being like the kind of jolly, happy, laid-back person to being confused as to where he even was. Yeah, it is distressing and I can understand why. It, this is a really good way to represent that mm-hmm. in a way that's digestible for children. Yeah. I think this is the kind of episode to show children whose parents, like have family who are struggling with... like mentally degenerative conditions to be like, look, it's really distressing for the people around and the people affected by it. But, you know, you've just got to stick by them and try and help how you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that ties in, I mean, don't want to jump ahead, but kind of ties into the conclusion of the episode, which is kind of like, she no longer has her kind of self-awareness and that kind of level of thought anymore but, that, but she's happy and content yeah. in the way that she it, is she's comfortable I guess, it's difficult for people that. around to see but she herself is happy and yeah. it's okay yeah and that's it's a really difficult solution to discuss but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so uh, Stephen tries to help centipedal get back to her ship um 
She's fully corrupted. She can't use the um, the warp pad in the temple. So awful. To I know. Watch. She's panicking so much it's not working. Yeah, like she's like hitting her fists against the floor trying to get it to work. Uh, she gets back to the ship and her all of her hands have turned back to that's, like insect that's legs. That's the bit that just breaks yeah. me. Yeah, and she bit. can't activate the hand pad yeah, by herself. Like she she raises her hand to hit it, and then by the time it comes back down, her hand's yeah. changed. She and she's just crying and hitting it, and yeah. like she's so close and can't that's get there. Awful. And Stephen helps her through, and they find her crew. And this was a really unexpected thing for me on the first view. I didn't yeah. suspect that, but. Her crew were there, and the impression we're given is that they could have escaped. They were at the ship, but they didn't they, want to they leave, didn't her, leave her. Yeah. And they were willing to stay and get corrupted to avoid leaving their captain yeah. behind. They waited for her. Yeah. Right until and... the end. Oh, Rex is crying. <gasps> Not yet! <laughs> Almost there. I teared up on um, this, I'll admit. So, I, I cried completely the first time. Oh, God, same. Um, so we get the confirmation from the gems who turn up, and presumably they turn up because Garnet could see that this is where they needed to be. Yeah. Um, they can read Centipedal's text. We never get an explanation of what she no. wrote, but um, I really like Garnet's solution to not bubbling her. This is her bubble now. Yeah. It's so sweet. It is. It's like kind of double meaning. Like, she's safe inside, she's with her crew. Yeah. And she's she's not a threat to anyone because she's she's happy and safe and with her family. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a nice solution because I think like this is the first time, maybe the only time, where we see a corrupted gem dealt with in a way that's like rather than basically imprison them, it's like we will leave them where they are safe and they're okay yeah. and they're not going to hurt us and they're not going to hurt the, anyone else. The, the bubble, ship is yeah. their bubble now. Yeah, we exactly. don't necessarily need to bubble and imprison every gem we can sometimes find other solutions. Yeah. And that's it's nice that we're moving that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the saddest thing for me about this episode is the way it ends with Stephen's line um, about wanting to learn how to write in gem language. Yeah. And it's mainly because he wants to know how to write, I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's really telling because this is, I think, the first sign we get of where we're going with the whole... Um, Stevoni falling apart because of all of his baggage with his mother. It's mm-hmm. this... He feels bad that he can't fix his mother's mistakes. Yeah. And, like, this isn't something he did wrong. He managed to help her get back, a centipedal get back to her family and to get her story told and to have just a little glimpse of being back to herself. And Stephen's apologising because this is something his mother did that he can't fix. He wasn't able to bring her fully back to normal, so therefore he sees it as a failure. Yeah. Even though it's you succeeded more than Rose ever did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for me, this is everything I had to point out on that episode. It's sad, but it's it's sweet, and it shows some real character development for Stephen finally starting to um, surpass his mother. Yeah. Is there anything else either of you wanted to add on this episode? That's everything I had. Sorry, I didn't want to cut in if you were going to say something. I have two things. Okay. Go ahead. Um, firstly, she says that they were there to construct things, and they did draw, like, the... Buildings ta- like they have on Homeworld and things. I think one of the drawings was of like the tower that we go to early in the yeah. series, like that water surrounded tower. Oh, so yeah. they're builders, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Or architects, maybe. It, it seems that way. It is tough to know what Centipedal's job was. Um, I do wonder if she's a corrupted paradox. Because oh, she's, she's, she's a green, green. She's a green gem that was uh, 
seemed to be in an important role to do with the construction of buildings. And if she was an engineer or an architect, that would make some sense. Leads nicely on to my next <gasps> point, as it happens. Um, the place where she is, that is, I don't know if it is the ship or the same type of ship that Peridot goes into when she says, oh, this text ancient. I believe it's the exact same ship, yeah. but they're going a side entrance that was covered yeah. with vines the first time. So they were right next to this place before where all the, the crew were, but they yeah. didn't know they were there. Yeah. That was my reading anyway. It could be a Peridot ship. Yep. I, she's, she was like, oh, this is ancient tech. We haven't used yeah. this for thousands of years, my, but my, it's usable. My only reason to think it's not going to be exactly a Peridot is that I don't think they want two characters of the same name, and I don't think they want a second Peridot, and I suspect they're eventually going to heal Centipedal. Yeah, I think she's probably... Also, Centipedal's gem seems to be circular as opposed to diamond-shaped like yeah, Peridot. Also, the, the silhouette that we saw when she very first tried to farm didn't look like a Peridot. Yeah. But I think, if, if not a Peridot, a very similar type of green gem. Yeah. I was going to say, it wouldn't look like a Peridot anyway, though, if she's an era one Peridot. Yeah, that's a good point. I was also thinking that, yeah. Cause because obviously Peridot's era two, so that's why she's small. Possibly. possibly. I personally don't think she's one, but I'm, I'm open to the possibility. I just want to know what she is, because it's a very interesting gem. I mean, it's a, it would be a good way to introduce a brand new type of gem and brand new character. So yeah, uh, any anything else we want to add on that? Um, not that I can think of. I don't think so. I'm just quickly trying to reread my notes to see if there's anything else <laughs> that I missed. But I think, I think that is that is it. Awesome. So it's a, it's been a slightly shorter episode than normal today. I think that's because we've only done four episodes rather than five, and not if, as much happened in those episodes. Yeah, like the middle two were definitely very filler. Yeah. Uh, had we done a fifth episode, we probably would have been closer to two hours, like normal. We're about an hour and a half today, but um, okay. yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, hopefully, I did an okay job of doing this last episode while a bit drunk. I um, didn't notice any difference from usual. Which uh, I, could, I guess could be taken as an insult, but. Oh, that's fine. I can feel the difference in my head, but I'm I'm making a very concerted effort to try and get my most presentable uh, yeah. face together. You're a professional, that's all. Exactly. Right. I'm I I've more than once had to podcast while drunk, and I've learned <laughs> the skill of like pretending to be sober enough. So okay, good. It's good. I still shepherded us through this. Yeah. As, as long as this isn't like the revelation that you're just always drunk. Oh, and you have like a problem that we need to talk about. Have I not told you all about this yet? <laughs> um, <laughs> So before we do self-promotion, by the time this episode goes up, we will have picked a winner for the Meat Morp contest. Uh, I mention this because we're recording this on the 2nd of July. Mm -hmm. Is that the month? That's where my drunkness is showing. It's my birthday this month. Yay! Uh, We're recording this like a week early, so we don't know who the winner of the Meat Morp contest is. But if it's you, we will have let you know on email or Twitter. And we will... Once we've heard back from the person and picked someone to send it to, we will let people know on the podcast. So you might not know till next episode, maybe, but a winner has been selected. We know now, technically, but not right now, if that's not too confusing. It's the weird time travel of podcasting. Us recording, don't know, but us talking into your ears today, no, Mm -hmm. because weird parallel timelines. Yeah, like we technically do not exist anymore. Yeah. Because we're the past versions. We have grown and changed since this time. <laughs> uh, so check your Twitters and or emails if you sent us meat morps and we will, you know, 
let you know if it's you. Mm-hmm. And if we don't... Whoever the winner is, if we've not heard from them for like a week, we'll pick a new winner. Yeah. So very sorry if you don't respond to us in a week and we pick someone new, but... We'll, we'll figure something out. We'll work that. something out. Yeah. Uh, self-promotion. Mia, where are you at on the internet? On the internet, I can be found at miaviolet.com, which is my website. Um, I've thrown myself off by starting with my website instead of Twitter. <laughs> I'm also on Twitter at God, and I have a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash miaviolet, where I now do video blogs. So there's actually worthwhile content instead of just supporting me because you feel sorry for how poor I am. No, you make things like the Crystal Cloudcast. Well, that's true. But I mean, I, I've never really had content just for patrons. I've always just been kind of like, thanks for supporting me and the content I'm creating elsewhere. Let's, let's be fair. Everything I do is for the internet in general and Patreon is just for like, do you want to support me continuing to do all of this stuff for whatever? That's fair Thank enough. you. <laughs> so, Retta, where are you on the internet? Super Retta. Most places on the internet. S-U-P-A-R-R-A-Y-T-A-R. That is correct. Yep. Uh, I can be found at Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere. Laura K. Buzz on Twitter, YouTube, Patreon, that's what pays the bills. Otherwise, letsplayvideogames.com or anywhere that will pay me money to write for them. Thank you for listening to another episode. We'll have another one next week. Bye.